Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, it's Wednesday, and uh, Youth Group's back tonight. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's been a long time. Two weeks off. Actually, it was three weeks for me because I was in California for one of them, so I'm really itching to get back. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait to be back in the pulpit, back with the students, hanging out, doing cool things, using cool slang, Yep. like dope, fresh, groovy. You know the things that the kids say these days. No cap, man. That's right. What does that mean? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, what are you studying? Bible. Bible. This time. That's good. Yeah, last time it was uh, the, Quran. the Quran. We yeah. were doing the Book of Mormon. Yeah, Book of Mormon was not a good yeah, series Yeah, we did lots either. of things. It was yeah. A, uh, we are still in the book of Ephesians, and tonight we're talking about <laughs> husbands and wives, Ephesians five twenty two through thirty three. So topic for the age, right? Yeah. Right, which is which is kind of fun as a preacher because learning to take a text and helping people see the relevance, even for a stage and age in which they're not ready to do that, is particularly fun. It helps to show like hey, the Bible's relevant it's because right. you don't see it on the surface of it. Doesn't mean that it's not relevant to you, right? So Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Yeah. Yeah, we have our premarital couples uh, memorize that passage. I mean, in theory, we do. Yeah. I don't know how many couples you've had that you could say with confidence, yeah, they really memorized it versus those who say, like, it's one of those things where you can memorize it for like a few minutes right. or a few weeks right, and then you forget it. Yeah. So I, I, I've gotten some of that. I, I don't know how many of them actually remember it though. Yeah. I always threaten to have them recite it at the altar when, or altar at the, uh, the front wow. when we're doing the, uh, altar. The, the, you have an altar the ceremony, your, your ceremonies, huh? Yikes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Hey, Biden was in town. Did you hear about that? What? Yeah. No. He was in Dallas. No. For what? I can't remember why, but there was, there were Ice massive cream. like pro Well, massive. There were pro Palestinian protests that happened, but we're in Texas. And so a bunch of people got arrested. <laughs> Which I I just appreciate that because everywhere else they're like being coddled and being like, oh yeah, welcome. We'll we'll let you terrorize everything. And, and they show up here and they get arrested. I've seen so, all over good people. Good job, Texas. Yeah. Protesting and blocking traffic. Yeah. And the traffic getting really angry. Well, tra- people in the cars causing that are in the traffic are getting angry because, okay, I, I get your point, but how does blocking traffic help your cause in any way? Right. I don't, I don't understand that. I don't even get the point most of the time. Most of the protesting? Yeah. I, I, pro, I guess protesting, in, so you know, you get the March for Life. People march in order to bring awareness. I, I can appreciate and respect the role that that plays in our culture and in our society. Right. Under, and, and yet I think it's gotten out of control. I, and when everybody's like, we've got the right to protest. Okay, but do you have the right to sit down in the middle of the freeway? And block traffic? No, I think that's where we've crossed the line. Yeah. I don't think that's what the Constitution had in mind call when it, it was protesting. talking about our, our rights. I'm going to go protest at Hutchins Barbecue. I'm going to eat their there it is. their brisket, <laughs> and I'm going to call it a protest. And it would be legally protected. It would so be. I'm going to do that. It would be. Well, anyways, yeah, Biden was here, and now he's gone. So. Dude, I can't believe you voted for him. There he Have is. you told people this yet? Dude, this is not something <laughs> that you just throw out on the podcast, especially with a bunch of people that don't know us well <laughs> enough yet to know that that is not at all true. Oh. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I didn't know if it was true when I said it. So I was just throwing it out there to see if it was true or not a rumor. Someone told me. It is not correct. Okay. It's not Just making sure. Yeah. I don't know. I did not vote for the Well, man. okay. Let me ask you a question. I, this is this can go off topic, but you've said this before. You've preached something like this. So talk to us about Christians who vote Democrat. I, I guess Christians who vote Republican. I mean, you got, you got, so it seems like, seems like 
Trump may make it back on the ballot again. Seems like it. And obviously Biden's going to be back on the ballot. At least there's no other strong contender that we know of that's going to be there. So talk to us about how a Christian reasons through who they vote for and whether there's, I don't know, I I don't know how to even present this with an even hand because I have a side, obviously, but talk to us about that. What does that look like? How do you reason through that in a biblically sound way without, uh, without, I don't know, without being unbiblical? Talk talk about that. Right. Well, as long as Jesus is not on the ballot, you're not going to have somebody that is uh, the the perfect candidate. You're not going to have somebody that that we can all sit there and be like, yeah, this guy, you know, he represents Christ, you know, well. And and I think honestly, especially now on both sides of the aisle, uh, given those two candidates that you just threw out there, I I think we're a long, 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 long way away from either of them being representatives of Christ. How do you really feel about it, though? That's how I feel about it. Um, and listen, I say that with convictions that are conservative Christian convictions. So hear me on that, but let's not kid ourselves that somehow we've got a moral right in, in one side of this, this party, uh, divide versus the other. There may be the lesser of two evils. And and that's the argument that really it comes down to here is, is, you know, when you're looking at these two candidates that are are put before us, there, there's really, I guess, three options on, on the table. Number one, you can vote for an independent. You can vote for somebody that's, that doesn't stand a chance to, to make the office. And some people do that because at the end of the day, they feel like, man, voting based, their conscience. Yeah. They're, yeah. I'm, I'm going to answer before Christ for the vote I cast. And uh, I, I feel like I can't vote for either of these two candidates. I feel like I can vote for this this candidate over here. So there's, that's option one. Option two is you can vote for Republican. Option three is you can vote for Democrat. Um, I think our obligation as Christians is what I just was talking about. You are going to answer for the vote you cast before the beam of seat of Christ. So you need to vote not for the man, but for what you feel like best aligns with your biblical convictions as a Christian uh, you need to vote in accordance with the scriptures, not in accordance with, uh, you know, your rah-rah patriotism. It needs to be about the Bible first and foremost, and everything else comes behind that. So, yeah, uh, you know, we, and we as pastors have to be careful because, and, and maybe you guys listening don't know this, but as as nonprofits, as church, uh, a church nonprofit organization, we can't endorse a candidate. That That's that's actually goes against the law. We risk our non nonprofit tax exempt status. If we were to stand up and say, you need to go vote for X vote for this person. Uh, that's something that we're not allowed to do. And so, um, that's why, although so many churches <laughs> press the envelope on that, but that's why you Pretty won't close. hear uh, a pastor get up in the pulpit and say, hey, everybody, I want you to go vote for this person. Yeah. Uh, technically, legally, it's, it's against the law for us as pastors to do that. So we may encourage one direction or the other, but uh, I, I think at the end of the day, we need to vote our conscience that's informed by biblical convictions more than anything else. So your neighbor at church voted for the other guy, whoever the other guy is. Is that person anathema? No, no. I, you, you can't. The Bema seat is not going to be blue and red. The Bema seat is not uh, Republican, Democrat, nor, nor is the great white throne Republican, Democrat divided. Uh, in fact, we're, we're, sometimes, yeah, has the United States been a superpower for the last, you know, a hundred and some odd years? Yes, but I think we get so consumed with the United States that we lose sight of the fact that there has been, you know, we've talked about this recently, let's say 6,000 years of human history, and we've been a country for not even 300 years of that. So um, let's tap the brakes on thinking that e- our eternal standing has so much to do with whether or not we're voting one party or the other. Now, 
it could reveal convictions that are misaligned for sure. No doubt about that. But just because somebody casts a vote on one particular side of the aisle versus the other does not define whether or not they are in Christ. And for us to do that is to conflate patriotism with Christianity. And that's a dangerous, dangerous aisle to walk. That's very helpful. This really has little to do with Job, but it does help clarify some biblical tensions that we feel as Christians in terms of understanding how to steward the vote that God has given us. And granted, you know, we're a representative republic, so does your vote actually contribute to who's sitting in the White House? Well, not really, uh, but it does say something, and yeah. it does communicate something as the masses. Yep. Thanks for that. You should vote. I, I, I do believe you should vote, so I don't think abstaining is the right, the right direction. Yeah, so... Well, let's get into Job. Job 24 through 28. We had a, a long introduction on the passage. That's the longest one we've dealt with yet. It was worth it. I hope. <laughs> it was worth it. Uh, yeah. So Job 24 opens up. I titled this one, Where Are You Justice? So I preached that message recently. Where are you Christmas? Like Cindy Lou Who. I, this is Job asking, where are you justice? Who's Cindy Lou Who? Cindy Lou Who from The Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh, okay. Really? You didn't know Cindy Lou Who? I you never met, I never memorized her name. I okay. didn't realize she was in a prominent character. She's like a, a main character in the I movie. Do, I don't really. You know. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Good stuff. Let's okay. go. Okay. Well. Anyways, everybody else knew. Do, guys, did they? Did I, they? I'm sure they did. Okay. I they pull the must people. have known. Anyways, here Job is is saying, look, the actions of the wicked that go unpunished, uh, they're they're evident, and that's what takes up mo- most of this chapter. Is he continues to refute the notion that his friends have been bringing that Job, you must have done something wrong to incur the the punishment that you're undergoing, because God always punishes the wicked. He says, well, not so fast. God doesn't always punish the wicked, and he he lists off quite a few of the the wicked deeds that people do that seem to go unpunished, including taking advantage of the poor, extortion, kidnapping. Job twenty four nine. Uh, murder, Job twenty four fourteen, adultery, uh, and so Job is is going through saying these are all examples of things that that are are evident all around us, and, and people get away with these things. So it's not always the case that swift judgment follows sin and rebellion. <laughs> just laying out, just laying out. Okay, all right, fine. I, well, I was just I, I don't sure if you're done yet, so I, I paused. And then I noticed you pausing for me and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to see what, how long this, this goes. This is real life right here, guys. You are <laughs> listening live to riveting podcast. And here, here's radio. the problem. Here, here's what, here's what happened because I wasn't, I, I was, I was looking at my notes you were paying as you were talking. What I, was saying. I, I temporarily what did I just disconnected. <laughs> I did temporarily disconnect and that, that left me like, okay, he's pausing. That's all right. It happens. It happens to me too. Every yeah. now and then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, and then, so verses 18 through 21, Job here kind of sounds like more like one of his friends speaking than, than Job. And that's led some to even think that this is maybe Zophar's lost speech. That's going to happen a couple times here in this section. Uh, and, and yet I think what's happening here is Job is parroting his friends in verses 18 through 21 of, of chapter 24. Yeah. He says, you say, that right. makes sense. Right. Saying, yeah, here's all the evidence of, of how wicked people do go unpunished. And yet here's what you say. Uh, jumping into to verses 22 through 25 of chapter 24, then uh, seem to return to the idea that justice is often delayed and that God even sometimes prolongs the life of the wicked. So Job is refuting his, uh, his friends, his advisors, his counselors that, uh, that come against him. Yeah, and I, I guess suppose the point is for us, God doesn't work on our time signature. He's not working on our time scale. God's operating from the time of eternity, from the past, present, and future. He has all of it in his hands. And this is the hard thing about being 
encased in space and time. We don't have the same visibility in the vantage point that God does. And this is what Job wrestles with. I don't know if there's an easy way around this. Most of us struggle with the same thing. It may not be, God, why don't you do this and that? It could be a lot of things. I'm not married yet. I don't have the job that I want yet. I don't have all these other things. God, why not? And the short answer is God's operating on a different timetable than you are. Yep. With God, one day is a thousand years and a day and vice versa. So it's one of those things you just have to learn to be patient with God. Well, and, and, and to connect this to what we just talked about in our opening, I, I mean, how about politically too, right? I mean, this, I think, factors in there because we look at situations and we say it, it looks like evil is winning. It looks like the bad guys are getting their way. It looks like... Uh, things are continuing to slip further and further into a state of decay. And uh, certainly Habakkuk felt that way. I think we feel that way as we look at our, our nation as well. And it's an important reminder, hey, God's God's doing things according to his time frame. He exists outside of time even. Um, and he's unfolding his plan in accordance with his perfect will. Yeah, that's hard. That's a hard truth to swallow. It is. We, we can profess that. But when it comes down to it, waiting is one of the hardest things it is to do as a human. It that, is. That's one of the hardest things we do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, chapter 25, I titled Short Man, Short Message. Why do you think it was so short? Maybe Bildad's kind of getting to the place where I think... Grasping at straws. Like, what do I say at this point? We've we've covered the bases. We've covered the ground. Job, you're not going to... You're done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm not... One commentator suggested that Job cut him off. It's like, you're done. (laughs) You don't have anything new to say. Because 26 Stop talking. Then Job answered and said... Yeah, Josh... My turn. Yeah. <laughs> Stop talking. Yeah. It's possible, or maybe, I mean, you know, I've been a part of plenty of, uh, of meetings with uh, other pastors sitting around a, a table where Whoa, a point is belabored. Shots fired. Shots fired, buddy. Where, where a point is belabored to no about end. Compass NTX. Hey, I don't want to belabor points. And you, I speak my piece. You have the opportunity to contribute again, and you're just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Amen. Like, let's, let's move <laughs> Amen on. It. Let's move on. We all, we're all just agreeing with each other again. So, yeah, I, I think that the one takeaway in, in Bildad's statement is, again, verse 4. And this is a repeated theme. How can man be right before God? How can he is born of woman be pure? And there's a kernel of truth there, right? I mean, in ourselves, in our flesh, we cannot be forensically right before God. We are guilty before him, uh, which is why we need Christ. Um, so if he's replying then to some of what Job is saying, and Job is saying the wicked do prosper, he's saying, well, count yourselves among them. Because everyone's wicked. And right. so in some sense, everyone's prospering despite being wicked. Your point isn't a good point. Right. So then Job responds and uh, and kind of glances off of Bildad. Um, and I wrote down sarcastic Job returns in verses two and three. He's like, how you've helped him who has no power. How you've saved him, the arm that has no strength. How you've counseled him who has no wisdom. So he's, he's taking some little jobs. Jobs, Jobs. He's taking jabs. jobs at him. He's taking jabs, jobs and jabs. Okay, quick, quick question though. Yeah, quick question. So Job has been using some pretty painful and wonderful sarcasm. Yep. Is sarcasm something appropriate for a Christian to use in his or her everyday speech? I'd say, generally speaking, probably not. Um, godly man, right here, man. He's using it. Yeah, but godly man who gets rebuked. In the book as not well. Not for a sarcasm. Well, not that we know. I think God's dealing with a, a much bigger issue in Job's heart than his sarcasm. Oh, okay. When he's, he's rebuking him. I don't know that he's calling him to account on everything in this. So I think sarc- sarcasm can be used for effect. And it, it is used that way in the scriptures at times. Mm-hmm. In fact, Paul uses sarcasm sometimes as well. God uses it God against uses Job it later. Against Job later. Yeah. Where were you when? Yeah. yeah. 
Um, Tell so, me, because you surely you know. Right, right. You were there. You were there, right? When I was creating everything, you were right there next to me. Tell me how to do it. Yeah. So it can be used for effect, and I think even as Christians, we can use it for effect. But when sarcasm is used, sarcasm comes from from the word facetious, right? Facetious is another word for sarcasm. That word means literally the tearing of the flesh. And so sarcasm, when Serrated it's edge. used, yeah, f- f- toward that end, to, to wound or inflict shame upon someone, to make f- somebody feel stupid for something that they've said, certainly there's no place of that for that in a Christian's life. But I think there's a place for playful banter. I think there's a place for wittiness, um, as long as it's not aimed at wounding another person. And, and here, I think Job crosses that line. I don't, I don't think Job is, is using this in a witty way. I think he's taking shots and, and, intention, and intending to inflict harm on his friends because they've inflicted harm on him. In keeping with the nature of the book, I would argue that sarcasm has to be wielded with such wisdom that most people are not equipped enough to do it well. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I would, I would say I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And that's where it's, it's like, cause there's the playful banter, right? Like yeah. guys will do fantasy football and the guy that, that one will show up at church on Sunday and be like, Hey, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't catch a score. How, how'd last week go in fantasy yeah. taking that jab, right? Yeah, playful sarcasm. That's, that's, I would put that in a separate category from the sarcasm that's like this, that's that's not. Well, playful. your hair looks nice today. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just convinced that, okay, so I think about Ephesians 4, right? Uh, to speak one another, to let love build up, uh, let your words be gracious, season with salty, et cetera, et cetera. I just, sarcasm does fulfill a need and a role. I just don't see it often playing that role very well because most people are just not, I, mean, I would count myself on that just to be clear. Yeah. I'm not really good at handling sarcasm. It just feels like such a, a heavy weighty weapon yep. that it can do far more damage than we ever intend. And it often is, it just falls flat. Yeah. I would agree. Anyway, just since Job is using it, God's going to use it. I thought it'd be helpful to discuss. Yeah. Well, chapter 26, Job, like I said, glances off Bildad and then he he shifts the focus to God, and it's this, it's really a chapter of praise. It's kind of a breath of fresh air, because Job here is just worshiping God as the magnificent one. And, and uh, don't get me wrong, he's doing this because he's trying to to say, look at how amazing and how powerful and how majestic God is. Where's my hope to go up against such a one as this? Right. That's that's kind of been his message throughout the book. But it's it's it is a breath of fresh air because it's going away from Job just bemoaning his circumstances or refuting his friends. I mean, there's there's cool things here. Like he stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. Like that's a that's a cool statement. Um, he uh, he covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. The pillars of the heavens tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. Maybe that's uh, an allusion, uh, a backwards allusion, to Jesus calming the sea, uh, the the sea, the sea, stilling the sea um, in the in the New Testament. So uh, some cool things here in in chapter twenty six. But he's he's focusing on the majesty of God. Before then. Uh, he gets into chapter 27 where he reasserts his integrity and says, again, look, I'm going to hold my ground. And that's what I, I titled chapter 27. I'm holding my ground. This is who I am. I'm not going to back down. Uh, and, and I am a man of integrity and holiness and godliness. And then in, in the rest of chapter 27, verses 13 through 23, he presents his view on what justice to the wicked, I think, should look like. Again, some have taken verses 13 through 23 and attributed it to, uh, to Zophar, because again, Zophar only speaks twice, not three times. But no, I think this is still Job saying, look, if God were to act like you guys are saying he would act, this is what I think he would do. Yeah, I guess it's important just to realize structurally what we're doing here. Um, chapter 25, 
chapter 25 is the last time one of the three friends speaks. So you have Bildad wrapping up this last cycle, and then Job replies to him. Chapters 26 through 31 is going to be all Job. And then you have this mysterious man show up later on, Elihu, and that'll be the last of all the words that are spoken by humans. Job's going to, uh, God's going to jump in and say his things. But just recognize here these final chapters that we're looking at are all Job as he wraps up the third cycle with his three friends. Yep. Yeah, chapter 28, probably my favorite chapter in Job. Just a, a cool chapter where Job asks the question, where can wisdom be found? And uh, he he asks that, uh, really, chapter 12, 28, verse 12, is the, uh, the, the question of the chapter. Where shall wisdom be found? Where's the place of understanding? And he goes through and uses these rhetorical devices to say it, it can't be bought. Is verse, it here? Verses 13 through 19. Is it there? Right? Is yeah. it under there? Is it above that? Right. It feels like a Dr. Zeus book, right? A little bit it does, yeah. And, and he's saying, look, it can't be found in nature. Man can't, uh, can't mine it. Can't, you can't draw it out of the earth like you can precious metals. And so in the end, he says in verse 23, God knows where wisdom is. Wisdom dwells with him. And then in verse 28, he says, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. So if, if man wants to find wisdom, he's not going to find it in nature. He's not going to find it through his own efforts. He's not going to find it through his own accomplishments. Wisdom is going to be found in the fear of the Lord, which is ironic because that's exactly what his friends were accusing him of having abandoned. And that's exactly what was the foundation for why all of this came to Job in the first place, because he was a man that feared God. How does chapter 28 function within the entire purpose of the book? Is Job coming to his senses? Is he just, you know, talking about the way wisdom is? It kind of wrestled with, well, Job, if you know this, then why not just say, look, the Lord, Lord knows what to do with this. And because Job is not finished saying, I need an advocate. I need someone to come in to, to, to vindicate me. How does chapter 28 help us understand the whole thing? I, in part, I wonder if chapter 28 is is still Job taking some shots at the friends, saying, okay. you guys are all professing to have all of this wisdom, but look, wisdom is not found here, and it's not found with you guys. With all of your counsel, all of your advice that you've given, wisdom is found with God. That That's kind of my take on it, is he's, he's kind of one last shot to the friends going, okay, you guys have said your piece, but... None of it's wisdom. Wisdom's no with wisdom. God. Yeah, in ch- chapter 28, 28, I mean, that, that's, that is one of the coolest verses in Job. Um, really, the whole book of Job could be called God's inscrutable wisdom. He's yeah. doing things you never know. One of the coolest John Piper quotes, because oh, I, I happen comes. to know who he is. Yep. And, you know, we're friends. Yep. Actually, we're not. I, I wouldn't mind being friends with him. Uh, one of the coolest things he said is that uh, God's always doing 10,000 things, and you're maybe aware of three of them. Mm. And that's true. Uh, we don't often think about that, but God is always doing a million and one things in our lives. And, and we can only be cognizant of just a few of those things, comparatively speaking, mm. even the things that we can see. If we, were to, if we were to number them, we say, okay, God's making me a better husband. He's helping me to be a better wife. He's helping me to be a better son or daughter. He's doing things, mm. but he's doing a million, trillion, bazillion more things that we never even think about. Yeah. And, and that's the cool thing about Job. It highlights the fact that God's inscrutable wisdom is operating at levels that we'll never fathom. Right, right. And, and, and like I mentioned earlier, God exists outside of time. Sometimes we think that God is bound the way that we are. Like he's, like tomorrow, God is, is gonna, God's not in tomorrow yet. He's, he's here because he's bound by the 24 hours that we're living right now. He exists outside of time. And so all of this is unfolding in a way that we can't even, to your point, fathom how he's operating from from our time-bound perspective, but he's also has all of history from the alpha to the omega unfolding in front of him. And he exists outside of the bounds of time with all of that. And he's orchestrating and ordaining everything going on, which we don't have a, a, 
There's no category for that. We, we can't conceive of what that's like. I, I've always wondered, I mean, God's interaction with time is, because we have these, like we have to recall a past event. Right. For God, I, I don't think that's the case. He, obviously, he doesn't struggle to recall them. There are right. moments in time that just, like the past, present, and the future are equally vivid to him. Right. And yet, there's also a real sense in which in which he involves himself in the present, which is really cool. It is really cool. Yep. Yeah, which gives a different shade of, uh, of understanding to passages, like when Peter says, don't consider him to be slow to fulfill his promise. Um, he exists outside of our conception of time, and what he's doing is not ours to understand. So Super cool. Yep. Well, hey, thanks for uh, tuning in. Tune in again tomorrow. Keep reading your Bibles, and join us again for another episode. Manana. Bye, y'all. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.